Now I had posted Mr. Sam what on Instagram. I said the living legend, Sam what? And um, let me just give a little bit of a lead in uh, for anyone listening who doesn't know. So Sam fresh off of winning the 105 kilo, 231 pound British title in a sensational battle in the deadlift session that had all the powerlifting community buzzing where we had, um, let me pull up the stat here. We had eight record attempts, seven of them, six, seven of them successful and three attempts to win it all. And obviously in the end, you win at 51 years old, the British open title going a perfect nine for nine and also winning best lifter of the entire British national championships. You have a 535.5 dots and just a shade under a 110 IPF points. Um, and not only have you been doing everything you're doing, it, this isn't just a, for anyone who's a Johnny come late on this, you know, you're doing this all at 51 years old. I know a lot of people are going to listen to this in audio. My man is diced. My man is, is a phenom, a physical phenom. But we were just talking offline. You started powerlifting in the 80s. Correct. The decades added up. This is insane, Sam. Now, I don't want to double back too quickly. I don't want to bury the lead. Let's talk about this championship that just happened before we go into your past. But my dude, how are you feeling right now? This is incredible. Um, I'm, I don't think it's still sunken yet. Um, it's been... It's been absolutely amazing. I've won many British titles. Uh, this is my 18th national powerlifting title. Uh, I've won four national bodybuilding titles. So winning titles gives me a buzz, but this one was probably one of the best of the lot, uh, simply because of the sheer standard. Uh, from the squats through to the benches, I knew I was in a hell of a battle. The guys, they all brought their A game. I, if, I, if I'm going to be genuinely honest, I thought uh, Abdul and Ben Pep, the most they were total would be 850 on a very good day. Uh, and I thought on a really, really bad day, our total about 870. Uh, but the boys, the boys absolutely brought it. Uh, Abdul totaled 867, which exceeded the British. I think he did. Eight, did he do 876? No, 867. Sorry. You're right. Sorry. 867. No, 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 no you're right. It's, 876? It's, it's, it's 876. That's Steve right. Manuel, Steve Manuel had the record, which stood for eight years. Okay. So I could sense. I could not put a foot wrong. Uh, Abdul and Ben Pat went six for six. And the subtotal was only 10 kilos difference between us. Yeah. And everybody, everybody there is capable of deadlifting over 350. So I knew I was in a battle. <laughs> and like I said, I'm just normally used to going to a British and just cruising it and it's an easy win. But this made it much more special because I really had to fight for the win. Yeah. When you were in the midst of it. So leading in, you thought, all right, I should have a healthy lead on this. 
And then obviously battles unfold. Like this is why in sports, you know, you throw away nominations, you throw away predictions and you have to play it on the field. And then you realize while in the midst of this, I'm going to have to have a good day. Like I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, you ended up going nine for nine, obviously. But when squats happen, when bench happen, you had a phenomenal squat. I think you had a 325 kilo, 715 pound squat. Um, but the other fellas aren't missing either. And you go yeah, into I, deadlifts. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but um, let's, let's take it back to the squats. Yeah. So I opened at four or five. Um, and I've done that quite a few times. And it should have been dead easy. Just an RPE five. And... I'm not 100% sure what happened, but it certainly wasn't an RPE 5. It was more like an RPE 9. <laughs> <laughs> I just got the line wrong, and the way it pushed me forward when I was coming out of the hole, and I really had to grind. So, as you know, when you're um, a competitive powerlifter, when something like that happened, especially on your first squat, the first thing that runs through your mind is, number one, uh, did I just get, was it just a technical error in the squat and I can correct it? Now, when I did the squat, it didn't feel easy. So even though normally when I get it wrong and I tilt forward a bit, I can still come up really quite easily. I can just good morning out of it if I have to. But that really felt like I was working. I didn't really feel I had that much power in my in my quads so initially the game plan was to go from 305 to 325 and then go for a pb 332 335 bearing in mind i did 330 comfortably four weeks before but the game plan had changed from that moment where i really struggled with that squat and i went to my handler mihai and i said right the game changes now. Initially, I was going for a 900 total. I said, forget 900. It's not happening. What we've got to do, we've got to get nine for nine. Um, and nine for nine for me doesn't mean necessarily getting PDs or lifting your best lifts. It's all about the day. It's about grinding out every single rep and just make sure I stay ahead. So... When I managed to get through my last squat, 325, I was really quite happy with that. That moved quite well. So in the end, I kind of re I I recovered um, my composure, but it did knock me a little bit. So as experienced as I am with as many competitions that I've had, um, you know, powerlifting can get you. But it was a chance for me to show character and to show what I could do. So on the bench, my goal in competition um, forever is to hit a 200 bench. I've done it in, in the gym, but I've weighed 107 kilos, 108 kilos. And as you know, as soon as you lose any kind of weight, uh, you, uh, you, your bench press goes down. Uh, I did the, I opened at 180, then went to 190. And I kind of knew 197, 200 was there. But my experience was telling me, if I get 195, I'm ahead on subtotal. And I know if I'm having subtotal as good as these guys are at deadlifting, absolutely amazing deadlifters, uh, I really felt I'm just going to pull them. Put, put what I need on the bar, and I'm going to pull it. A little bit like when I competed in my previous British Championship against Josh. 
it was the same thing there. It was, I'm not going to go for strategy. I'm not going to see what he does and put it down. I'm just going to, I already decided at the subtotal, I said to my handler, we're going 320, 350.5, and we're going 367 because that will secure me the win. That will give me the best lifter and that will give me of the day and best lifter in Britain of all time. And I didn't deviate from that. So that is why I'm so happy because the plan came together, even though it started out a little bit shaky. So that was one of the questions I actually had. So going into this, um, well, first off, isn't that what the seasoned veteran does? When you go walk in there with goals and we all as powerlifters, you know, in other sports, when there's no direct numerical value to everything you do, like we have an exact number to our performance on in all three events, you have the number there. So you, we fall in love with these numbers and we romanticize the numbers and training over and over night after night. And we predict and we're like the nice round numbers when you're close to one, Ooh, 900 kilo total or whatever it is, uh, the nice round number on the single events. And um, so it's difficult. We get romantically attached to these numbers. And then when the day comes, sometimes some people have told themselves so many times in their heads that they like their ability to read the play and be like, none of that matters right now. We're going for the win. They don't. And they end up going five for nine or six for nine. And when it's a battle, like you found yourself in, and especially if you get surprised by a battle and you don't stop and look around every now and then and be like, Oh shit. Um, you can all of a sudden be like chasing numbers that aren't there that day. And yeah, I mean, it always surprises me when people put so much emphasis on a number, right? I'm going to go to this competition and I'm going to get 800 pounds. Well, how do you know? What happens if you don't sleep well the night before? Uh, you're going to still go for 800, even though it's not there. The experience is assessing where you are on the day and what you can do on the day. And the way that I approach my attempts is kind of percentage-based. So, okay, I can go for 200 kilos on the bench. I feel I've got a 70% chance of getting that. But if I go for 195, I feel I've got a 95% chance of getting that. And that is how I weighed up on the day. Uh, somebody was saying, Sam, you're going to go for 900. You're going to do 900, aren't you? And I said, I'd love to do 900 at this competition, but that would require a perfect day. And when does that happen in powerlifting? Mm. So I had a really, really good day, <laughs> nine for nine, <laughs> won the championship, won the best lifter, and it still wasn't a perfect day. <laughs> Isn't that a powerlifting <laughs> thing where we always want more? We always leave me like I had more in me. No matter what, that's the way it is, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I tried to go for perfect, but that rarely happened. So I'm happy with very good. And I had a very good day, so I'm very happy. The number that everyone should be the most worried about is number one. <laughs> right that's the overall number yeah how about this number number one not only in the 105s but in the entire british championships that is the fucking number and when, when we all look back in 20 years from now um all these numbers like you know records get broken people push past barriers etc so who knows what these numbers look like but what people will recognize is the number of british titles you got 
you know, at the age you're doing it in the push you're making, when you go internationally at the European championships and you're meddling there as well, et cetera, this is in the end, you know, when, when, you, when you, even in other sports, when you talk about certain people, like how many points a game on average does this basketball player have or whatever, get down to how many championships, how many rings they got, you know, this, to win, I win, I, win though, you know, I, I agree hundred percent. So this is, this is um, my mindset in terms of the, the I, know, I know you're going to go into it in probably a bit of detail later on, but in terms of the deadlift battle that everybody's talking about, for me, it wasn't a deadlift battle. Do you understand? It was yeah. not a deadlift battle for me. It was, for me, I need to secure the, the title. Now, if it's a deadlift battle, I'm pulling way more than 367. Um, and in fact, technically, technically, um, I should not have even gone for 367. I was about to ask you, I'm glad you're saying that. I was, I was like, dude, we have to talk about that. Okay. Tell me what happened. You want to talk about it now? Yeah, let's do yeah, this. Okay. Let's get in there. Yeah, so when um, Ben misses his 360.5, so in the running for first, it was between myself and Abdul at that stage. He pulled 352.3 seconds and then pulled 361, and that gave him the 867 British record total, and that put him into first place ahead of me. So what you should really do is see what he does because I'm going after him and then put in a weight where it's just enough to beat him by one kilo to get to 878. That would be 359 kilos for me. But I was super confident. I was, I was able to do the 367. And the reason why I went for the 367 is that obviously I knew it would secure me the win, which was number one. So I was confident in my abilities that I can pull 12 kilos more than I've ever pulled in my life in competition and do it. I never have any grip issues. Once it moves from the floor, I'm locking out. But also the big thing was, um, I really, really wanted <laughs> the champions of champions. Ah. Uh, this is why. So the guy in the 83 is uh, Durance, who did British record total yep. in five squat. Yeah. Uh, he did absolutely amazingly the day before. Um, and he was doing an interview and he was saying, it doesn't matter if it's the 93s or 105, 120s. I want to be the best lifter in the country pound for pound. So I saw that video on a Saturday. And from that moment, Julian's was also my enemy. <laughs> in a nice way. And so going into this competition, the first thing that I did when I got to the venue, once I got weighed in, was find out what his body weight was. And I think it was 82.4, 82.5. And then I put it in the IPF calculator. And the IPF calculator with my body weight at 104.85 meant that I need 367 and I mm. thought all right that is my final deadlift no matter what it's 367 so that's how that came about if I needed if, if I needed another five kilos it would have been 372 I would have gone for so, it's it's so funny that's why so really so people who don't understand powerlifting if you were my coach if I was at an international and the British coach had 
coach Henry Tosh, he would have never have let me go for 367. No. But that's an, ego, that, that's an ego thing. You're going to go for the win. You're going to go for 359, and that is it. And that would have been the right decision. Well, I had confidence, and it paid off. It, um, well, I, I, first off, it's yeah, it's funny how he released the video, the interview. If you would have just kept shut, but uh, you might have found out anyways. You might have crunched the numbers anyways. But you see that I would've, video. I would have crunched it. I'm a numbers man. Right. But you, it's funny, the, the inspiration you have to see that video and be like, I'm going to be the one to have to mess up your plans, young man. Yeah, but yeah, let me go now. Let's see what's up. Yeah. And he was saying he was, he was watching the competition. And, and once Abdul did his 361, he assumed that I'd put my weight down to 365 sure. or 359, uh, but he was mistaken. It was never going down. I was I was gonna pull that weight, um, and I did. <laughs> so so yeah, Abdul. After his second was at 867 and a half. After his third was at 876, and yeah, you did not need what you loaded. And I was going to ask you that, but I knew you won best lifter. I didn't crunch the numbers, but I knew for you to beat 876 would not have taken the dead you had. Um, so I was going to ask you about, but look at, in terms of what you accomplished at the storyline, you know, at your rage coming back, is it, is it, um, when you show up at these events after all this time and everything you've been through, A, let, let's do people, do you feel like when people look at you and see you hit the platform in the British Nationals, do they, do you, do they know when they see you, do they know you've been around since the eighties and you're still here and you're still doing what you do? Do they know what you're bringing? The history, you were literally a part of history and powerlifting showing up. Do you think they even realize? Um, probably not, probably not. Um, but when, but when I attend these competitions, I see people that I grew up with back in the day, you know, when I was in my early 20s and they were lifting and I was lifting. So there's always a blend um, of the old school and the new school. The new guys, no, I don't think they'll, they'll know because I don't think they're going to go back and look at historical records because, you know, the records all change. When I was lifting, it, it was in the 110s and it was equipped. So I think for a lot of lifters nowadays, that's quite foreign, isn't it? Equip lifting, single mm. ply, knee wraps. So I don't, I don't genuinely think they go back that far. Um, but, and to be honest, I, I don't think a lot of people probably even look at my age. But you don't uh, look I 51. Just, you you I, wouldn't think you should. You don't look 51. Yeah, yeah but I, I, I mean, even though they know I am, I don't think they look at me that way. They don't go, oh, here's Sam Watney's 51. I think they just think, He's a strong guy. I think that's the, that's the overwhelming sense that I get. Um, even though it was kind of funny when Jervis, when I, when I beat him, um, he said, man, I just lost that on that best lifter by 0.1. It actually wasn't 0.1, Jervis, that it was 0.3. And, <laughs> and I got beaten by a 51-year-old. <laughs> so I guess for some people, it may rank them a little bit. It's like, because, you know, you know, I'm that old, you know, I'm still being still able to perform, but um, it, it really does show as a very cliche, but age is just a, just, just a number. For me, if I went in with the mindset, oh, I'm, I'm going to restart powerlifting at 47 years old, and I'm going to be rubbish, and I'm going to have injuries, and I'm, 
I won't really be able to perform that well. Then probably from a, psycho from a psychological point of view, I probably wouldn't do that well, but I've never thought like that. I've always thought I can be better than when I was 30. And I literally am. Because what I, what, what I did, uh, I married the genetic potential that I clearly have, but I've acquired way more knowledge than I've ever had. And I know a lot more than I did say even six months ago. Mm. I know much more about mobility. <laughs> um, I'm not, I'm, I know much more about programming. I know much more about nutrition. So add that to the old Sam when I was doing 942, squatting 375, and I knew nothing of those things. I'm going to get improvements. Um, and I've, I, you know, I've looked after myself all the years. I do cardio every single day. You know, I eat really, really well. Um, I look after myself. And right now, I really do not feel like I'm slowing down. I expected to be slowing down at this stage. I really did. But I'm not. I'm getting, I'm getting stronger. The, ne the next time I compete, I'll do over 900. So what can you say? When, when, you, when you do show up and you, you have the sense that, look at some of these people, because you look at, you don't fucking look 51 on the surprise. Like, I, you know, you don't, but you, you, there's no way in hell anyone would think you're out of your thirties. Not just are you diced up, but even just looking at your face, like you, like, there's no fucking way anyone would ever think you're in your fifties. So thank you, mom. Thank you, dad. Well, it's the truth. I mean, God, so <laughs> it is what it is. But, um, so I, yeah, when you show up, nobody's going to think that, but in your mind's eye, when you show up, is there a bit of, you know, you, you guys are about to find out, you know, nobody, if you don't know, you're going to find out and everyone will tell you after the fact, if you don't know everything I've done, when I, when I unleash what I'm about to unleash, when I open this present <laughs> up here, there's going to be talk on Monday and the talk is going to be, do you know who Sam Watt is? You should have seen this coming. Like, is there a little bit of like almost a secret you're about to show everybody? No, no, not really. Not really, because that sounds a little bit like I want to, you know, with, with the ego there, and I want to prove, do you know, do you know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> do you know, you know I am? Dude, you know if I, mean? I was you, no, I would no. have that ego. <laughs> I know, but, but the, the thing is, I really feel I don't have to do that. All I've got to do is to just go there and perform. Yeah. And when I perform, people will see what I can do then. You know, I'm not using what I did in the past. Nothing from a historical uh, context. Um, the only time I ever mentioned that I'm 18 times British champion is when I win the next one. So the next time I mention I'm 19 times British champion, it'll be a year from now. Um, I don't go around saying I'm 18 times British champion. It's just, it's just, no, I just need to get back into the gym and I need to get stronger. So what did I do this week? Uh, I've trained four times this week already. Oh, damn. <laughs> no time off. No time off because um, I'm addressing weaknesses. I already identified what my weaknesses were and I realized where I can get stronger. So I know how I, I can get significantly stronger on my, well, all three lifts. The squat was disappointing at 325. I know if I get it right, I can push it up to 335, 340. Um, so I'm already working on those weak points already. And so that's what this week was about. Um, so 
the short answer is no. I, I really don't feel like, oh, like, do you know who I am? I'm proving something. No, I just, I go there and I perform because you're only as good as your last performance, really. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, how do you feel, like, in terms of you've been doing this for so long, like competing, lifting weights, even if not in powerlifting, but even bodybuilding, you've been in the gym for so many years, since the 80s. How many decades, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, 2010 to 2020, now we're in the 2020s, and you know, you're, you're winning British titles, uh, pound for pound, best in Britain, which is not a small powerlifting nation, by the way, meddling in the open at European championships and what, like, you know, for so long, walking into that gym and it's relatively monotonous. You get people who have been in the game for three or four years and they start losing passion for this because well, I'll squat day again, well, bench day again. And it's the same thing over and over. How do you maintain that motivation, that inspiration to keep at it and the discipline over all this time? Okay. So actually, in fact, I did get bored. Mm. Um, that's why I retired. <laughs> I won, um, I think it was my 11th British title um, when I was 31, I think. I had, that was a bit of a comeback for me because I had like, back injury um so it was a couple of years since i won my, my previous title and then i came back and i was 31 and then i won the the british and then that was it i didn't really feel the passion so that is when i left uh, powerlifting and i played uh, five-a-side football for 10 years i, I enjoy football yeah. When I say football, you know what I mean, don't you? Soccer. Not, yeah, I got you. I got yeah, you, my man. Soccer. <laughs> yeah. in, 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 in Britain, you're not allowed to say soccer. It's I know. It's, not, it's, it's football. So um, I just played five-a-side football for 10 years, and that was probably a good thing. Three times a week, running around, cardiovascular health. My weight dropped down from 107 down to it just automatically just settled out. I think it was about 93 kilos without barely any training. I'm still muscular. Um, but I think through all that time, um, that just allowed my body to kind of rest from the, the powerlifting. Um, I was still going and train at the gym a couple of times a week, but nothing heavy, just a bit of bodybuilding, some light squats, squatting 160 kilos, something like that. But I just, I just really never had the passion at that time. Um, then when I decided to switch jobs, I was in IT and then I moved to personal training. Then I thought, this is a good time to get back into the gym and really have a focus. But with me doing personal training, I thought it'd be probably better if I did bodybuilding because personal training is about transformation. I've never dieted in my life. So now I'm gonna do extreme dieting so if I'm asking my clients to diet, to have sacrifice or discipline, then I'm, I need to kind of go through that process myself. And <coughs> doing, the, doing the bodybuilding also showed me how to, to really lift weights really quite efficiently, um, learn about programming. So that stood me in good stead. So four years of that, I managed to win four national titles and I finally won the world title 
in 2017, the WNBF Pro Natural World title. After I did that, it was like, okay, I've added a bit of muscle over these last four years. Let's see what I can do with this powerlifting thing again. Now, my idea was never to even lift in the Open for seniors. I just did not think I'd be competitive. I thought, I'm past it, really. Uh, but if I can do well in the Masters, if I can total around 800, 810, maybe 820, I'll be happy with that. And then I started training, and then I just started to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And I realised I, I need to lift with the Open to make things competitive. If I just lift with the Masters, bearing in mind the Masters world record, the Masters one was 810, and I pushed that to 860. And currently the Masters two world record is 780. So I need some competition. So I've got to go with the young ones. So it, it, that's the story. It's uh well, first off, with you doing barely, you know, just very light weightlifting when you're doing soccer, for you to be 93 kilo, 205 pounds, and and how tall are you? Uh, six foot. So you're, you're, you were a muscular guy. You're just naturally a muscular guy. You are on pro, like a genetic one percenter, obviously, right? I'm stating the obvious, but there are people like you walking around, which is crazy for people to wrap their heads around. I've told this story before about the guy, uh, UFC fighter. He's in his early forties. He had an eye injury. Dana White, president of UFC, sends him to see a doctor and the doctor calls Dana White and it's uh, Yoel Romero from Cuba. And he's like, where did when did you find this guy? What's this guy's deal? And Dana White's like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, I, I'm trying to get in there with the eye and the amount of muscle tissue and everything around it. It's four times more than I've ever seen on any other. I've been doing this for 25 years. I've never seen the amount, anything like this, the structure of this man. And there are people like that, you know, like for you to be walking around six foot, 205 pounds, and you're a soccer player, you're not a weightlifter. You're not whatever. These there are people six feet, wanting to smash weights and working very hard to be a dice 205 jack dude you know what i mean and if for you to be like yeah well that was my baseline you know not like baseline <laughs> you were you know you're in shape but you know what i mean where there are th there's levels to this there are one percenters obviously walking around so that stands out but then on top of that so when you said you're coming back and um you yourself are like i'm not sure where my barometer is what's realistic for me so you start off in the master's division and it's 2017 I can only imagine what you're thinking when you're re-entering. When you were around in the 80s and 90s, you were literally at world championships with Ed Cohen, a young David Ricks right. who's in his 30s. You know, Superman was, was, was Superman in his 30s. You know, like, like literally legends of the game. And, um, and the IPF looks entirely different, mostly equipped. Then you leave and you come back at 2017. My God what a different world powerlifting is with live stream, social media, the whole nine. You walked out. It's like a time warp where you walked out of one era, <laughs> you know, the Ed Cohen era. You walked out of that era and walked into, you know, the Ray Williams, Russell Orhe era type deal where it's like, oh my God, are things different? Yeah, and I, I, feel, I feel lucky. I feel lucky to be able to still be competitive um, and to lift in this era because it could easily have not happened easily. I could easily have just never done bodybuilding or never done powerlifting, just stayed playing football at 91 kilos. Uh, but I'm really glad that I've experienced it because 
especially with the social media side of it. And, you, you know, I mean, you do an absolutely fantastic job spreading Thank the you. word um, and, you know, elevating uh, people um, who do who do well. Um, and it's just, I just can't believe how um, competitive and how it's grown. Uh, to think <laughs> that when any session that I do, I can just pull out my pull out my phone, just record it, and send it on social media and seen by thousands of people. When I was lifting <laughs> in the nineties, and I squatted three hundred and seventy five kilos multiple times, and not a single one was recorded. <laughs> I bet sing, single ply two hundred and thirty kilos. Nothing was ever recorded. No training footage. No competition lifts. You did it, nobody else knew, just your peers, just the guys in the gym and the people that you happen to see at a championship, whether it was a local, a regional, a British or a world championship. And that was it. And it's just a whole new world now where I, I went into, when I went to the gym last week on two separate occasions, um, a couple of young 20 year olds said to me, I recognize you from somewhere. I, yeah, I saw you on King of Lists. <laughs> so the both from Leeds, but they recognize me from King of Lists. And really strong guys. One of them is, um, I think he's one or five, only 20 years old. And I just saw him repping 250 kilos for a triple. And you just think, that's just this place here. What's happening around different cities around the UK, different cities around America, in Europe, the, 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 the level of competition, I don't think people really understand what is really happening. Um, I think somebody was telling me that the university now is going to make powerlifting like a major sport um, in the UK. I don't really know what that means. But what it does mean is that a lot more people are going to be doing it. Mm. If you're getting the recognition, you're going to, a lot of people will be doing that instead of football or rugby or something like that. So you just watch. Um, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more craziness. Lots of, lots of 400 plus lift, lifts by youngsters. I think it's absolutely amazing. I'm just grateful to just have a taste um, of lifting in this era. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful that I'm able to experience it. Well, it, it is, um, you know, we have the University Cup that's international. And what happens when a nation does this and starts recognizing powerlifting at a university level, we start getting athletes going to these universities, maybe they get scholarships, et cetera. And instead of choosing other sports, they choose powerlifting. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about, how there are one percenters walking around. The, the physical freaks that are like, they're capable of, you know, they're like, you know, I want to get too hyperbolic, but they're like, it's mind blowing. What's, what, what, what can be out there? You know, people have to open their minds. When I tell you that story about Yoel Romero, they're built different. Like there isn't the same, their baseline beginning is not the same as everyone else. So you both work as hard as you want. He's got four times as much muscle tissue just around his eye socket. You know, you know, his body is built differently. So when he's smashing weights like you are, things change. So when they open it up, um, to universities. Now you get scholarships and people are now, instead of choosing other sports, they're choosing powerlifting. We are going to get more uh, of, of like guys like you, guys like Yoel Romero, um, you know, and they start choosing powerlifting all over the world. This is happening. And the world's a big place. This is where 
you know, sometimes with King of the Lifts, some people do come to me and be like, man, I took, you know, I took third at junior nationals in the US, 74 kilo class. How do you not know me? And I'm like, my friend, you have no idea how big the world is. How many junior third place finishers are all over the world in every country. It, it is a, like the world's a big place and people are coming from everywhere now. And the more this happens, like the university cup and more countries are now like, look at, let's start sending athletes, the European games, the Asian games, we're getting into these multi-sport events. Like they have track and field. They have all these powerlifting alongside them means nations are going to start sending their youth and their one percenters towards powerlifting. Like you said, it's it, what's going to happen in the next five to 10 years. It's going to be crazy. We're, when the one percenters start being like powerlifting, that's what I'm going to yeah, do. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. And, and to be a part of it, um, to be a part of it now. Yeah. I mean, it's, do you, do you also like you had brought up 2019 and obviously you had battled Josh Greenfield and he was breaking IPF world records in the squat and he's a world-class lifter. And then obviously these fellas from, uh, 2022, when you keep coming up to scratch every year, is it, um, you know, because you, every time you enter into a meet, do you still get that the butterflies, do you still get that? Like, because after you won 18 of these, you know, in terms of hunger, when you show up, how does it feel? Because the worst, you know, I listen to some athletes talk and they're like, um, Wayne Gretzky, you know, from hockey or whatever it is. They're like, when I lose that, when I show up and I don't feel that anymore, I got to take my Jersey and hang it up or boxers. Roy Jones famously said, um, when I I'm taking off the gloves, when I don't have a bit of fear, a little bit of Holy shit, a little bit of whatever, because you're just, you're not going to perform at your best anymore. It's gone. The fire's gone. Yeah. It's I mean, and that will, that w may happen once I start declining in terms of performance. Right. But that's clearly not happening. <laughs> it's no, clearly it's happening. And it's, it's, it's insane really, because at my age, it should be, but it just isn't. And when you come into a show like this, like I was involved in, and it's a real battle, and you come out on top, and everybody's absolutely stoked, and just saying, I saw that deadlift battle, I watched the live stream, it was absolutely amazing. You know, I'm, I'm, like, the, I'm like the old boxer, um, but I've still got all the skills. I've still got all the skills. I don't maybe quite move as fast but I've got the experience enough to put down the youngins. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm competitive and I'm, I'm still able to beat them. So that fire in the belly is still there. Do I get nervous? No, I don't get nervous. I get, what's the emotion? Do I get anxious? A little bit anxious, but I think that's good. There's a little bit of fear. And the fear for me comes not with, oh, Sam, you got to pull 800 pounds for the first time ever. You could hurt your back or you squat in this heavy way and you, you may buckle and hurt your knees. No, the fear, the fear is not winning. It's a fear of failure. I don't like it. <laughs> so in my last three competitions, going back to 2019, the European seniors, I've lifted 
um, three times. And in those three competitions, out of 27 lifts, I've got 26. <sighs> and the 27th lift that I failed, I locked out the bench. I just happened to hit the racks on the way up. Damn. So, exactly. I do not like failing. I do not like failing. And I know if I can go there, get nine for nine, it's, it's, it's very hard um, for these guys to beat me because I almost kind of expect them to make a mistake. But I'm not relying on their mistakes. If I, if I can go there and get nine for nine in every single competition, then I'm good. And my next competition, I've been looking to do exactly the same thing. I want nine for nine. Um, I don't want to fail a single lift. And I'm almost disappointed when I did the 367 and there was a red light. That upsets me a little bit because I thought I did a perfect lift and maybe I didn't. <laughs> so I need to look at that and see why I got that red light because I want 27 white lights out of 27. So that's a, that's a standard that I put myself to. It's not just enough to win. It's not just enough to win the championship, win the best lifter. I want a perfect performance as well. It's um, your story as well is relatable to everybody. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how old you are or where you're from. We are all on the same timeline and clock, right? Like we're all mortal. We're all, this is, this is facts of life. You are guaranteed there's an end to this. And to see somebody like you performing like you are has to be inspirational to everybody. And it's, um, you know, it's got, it, is it weird to be like, to know like that you've, you've now assumed this role, you know, like when you're younger, you, you don't, you, you don't know, like by 51, all of these guys, I'm looking at, you look around the world championships, all of the legends you were with in your, in the early nineties competing with and knowing when it comes to 2022, there's just me in the open doing what I'm doing, still winning, still here. And it's, um, you have no idea that, that nobody's going to is, is like in their twenties or thirties, knowing that th they're going to assume that position, that role. And then all of a sudden yeah. here we are, time flies. And it's like, that's you, man. You're that guy. Well, now. It, well it, it's kind of funny because um, when you posted my previous competition, that qualifier where I did the eight, seven, five total, um, I got a private message from Dave Ricks because Dave wouldn't know who I was when when I was when he was I think when I think the first time I saw him lift it was I think could have been 1991 in Birmingham and I think he was already multiple world champion and I was just a junior at the time so you know I went in the 90 kilo class and I think I totaled 770 or something like that so. I'm not on his radar. Then I left it for a few years. And then, like I said, I, re, I re, you know, I kind of semi-retired. And then he went on to win all those titles. And so he knows now that I'm over 50 because, you, you know, you've mentioned it. And he's on things like open powerlifting and open IPF. Um, and he certainly know who, if he didn't know who I was before, he certainly know who I am now because as well as me being number one ranked in the UK, I'm now number one ranked in the IPF over 50 out of anybody. I've just got ahead of Dave Ritz with, the, with this performance. So, um, 
and Anthony Harris and Mike Bridges and people like that. Uh, people that I've looked up to, amazing lifter, multiple world champions. I looked at look in awe. Anthony did, Anthony Harris did 378 in the 120s squat. Yeah. So just absolutely amazing. And just to be ranked as a number one over 50 in the IPF. Um, I'm, I'm really happy with that. I mean, like I said, the, the titles I've won, including bodybuilding and powerlifting, I've won 23 national titles. So for me to get more of a buzz, I need to be looking at things where I can kind of create a little bit of a legacy more than just winning a, a title, you know, being the best lifter, being the best of all time. That does drive me, you know, that drives me. You know, people love the different things that drive them. That's what drives me. And so to be in that company, um, it's just it's just absolutely amazing. I'm absolutely buzzing. And um, <laughs> I'm going to keep on going. <laughs> what did David Rick say when he messaged you? Um, he just says, well done. It's, um, it wasn't a long conversation. He was just saying, amazing performance. Um, 875. Um, at 105. Um, yeah. Isn't life and I, funny, man? And, 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 and then I said to him, I've known, I know you, Dave. I know <laughs> you. I've, I've known you for 30 years. You don't know me, but I know you. <laughs> it took you 30 years, but now you know me. The yeah. If I was lifting all the time, then we'd be all buddies and we know each other, but I took 17 years off. So if you look at it, um, it's, it's, it makes it even more an achievement that I've achieved 18 powerlifting national titles and I took 17 years off. Is it, um, is it kind of bizarre at times to be there in 2022, look around and, and you could close your eyes and be like, I remember 1991. I remember 1992 and there's Ed Cohen. And like, I remember like you could, you, when you show up, is it bizarre to be like, my God, like your life is very unique. Like it's it's the same, but it's different. Like, oh, you're still doing the same thing. Yeah, but it's so different though, huh? Like you could close your eyes. Yeah. It's it's like a fucking movie, you know? Yeah, I mean, if, if you love what you do, you know, it's just what you want to do. You know, I think I was watching an interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger and somebody said, you see it. Yes, talk about it. I love it. Talk no, about it. You, you talk about it. What did he say? Because I, I don't remember. Okay. So um, Logan Paul said to him, uh, and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is in the 70s, and he's like, you still wake up and you still lift weights. And, and because you, you've been doing this for how long now? And Arnold Schwarzenegger goes, slept last night, had a sleep 10 years ago, had a sleep 20 years ago. I'm going to sleep tonight. It, it, it doesn't crunch. Uh, I, I ate a meal last night. I ate a meal 10 years ago. I ate a meal 25 years ago. I'm going to eat a meal tonight. You don't stop living. The, 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 you're never satiated. And uh, I, I love it. And this is what I do. This is my life. So I'm never going to stop sleeping. I need the sleep. I need the meal. I need to hit the gym. This is my life. It doesn't stop. I didn't stop living at, at 32 or whatever. And he's like, when it's a part of your life, it is just as integral as everything I just said. And, and yeah. Logan Paul was like, it makes fucking sense when you put it that way. Oh, dude, what do you think? What do you think happens when you're 51? You think you stop living? Well, why are you getting out of bed? Where's your inspiration? You know, when you stop doing things like that, you're done. 
It's why when people retire, they die almost very soon after they retire or whatever. If they, if they lose their purpose, you need a purpose. You need something. What life is purpose. If it wasn't, if it wasn't this, it'd be something else. Yeah. Um, but fortunately for me, I really, really, I really love this. You know, I really love this sport. I really love what I do. And, you know, the, look, at some point I will retire, but I'll always keep on lifting because I enjoy lifting weights. Um, so when I retire, will probably be the time when I start to decline. Maybe when, maybe when my total drops down to about 860, then I'll say, okay, that's it. Not good enough. I'm done. Yeah, you'll be 175 by then. (laughs) (laughs) Working on this trajectory, (laughs) I'll be dead. So you, (laughs) so someone else will have to report on that. Okay, young guys, you can take over now. I'm done. That's right. They'll be 75 years old now. I've won like. 35 British titles. Okay, guys, take over. Go on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it's about time, my man. Um, yeah, what are, like, looking ahead a little bit, what are some of the goals that you do want to hit after having accomplished everything you had? Um, and now you're breaking into this new ground because I, I remember 2019 when you were in your late 40s and you won the British Open and you beat Josh Greenfield and this, like had some sensational performances, meddling at the European Championships. Um, and I remember thinking like, how far can he push this, right? Here we are three years later and you've gotten, you put on like t- over 20 kilo on your total and it's only going up. What are some of the goals and what keeps you going? Like, okay, here's what I want to hit. That's really difficult. That's difficult because I've really kind of hit everything that I wanted to hit. Um, if you know, just remember when I broke the British record, deadlift record, uh, a couple of years ago, I did 340, 341. And you remember me saying my goal was to do a 350 deadlift. Mm. Now I'm doing 367. And it's really quite comfortable. I, sh- I could have done 377, 380. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Okay, one thing for definite, I do want to win an IPF world title. So I think I'm going to go to, I'll do it IPF international. So I want to win the world title. And then obviously I want to solidify those world records. So push those world, the world record 780 up to around about 900. Um, have a clean sweep of all the records if that's possible. Um, in terms of numbers, it's going to be really more of a case of I'll see how <laughs> how things go in training because I just really don't know. After deadlifting as much as this, it was it was really unexpected. Um, you know, obviously I want a two hundred benching competition, but I could have done two hundred in my last show. So let's say I, I definitely want it at some point a, a three forty squat, a two ten bench. And like a 380 deadlift. I think that's reasonable. And and, um, in saying that, so first off, being the first, if you're in your 50s and you're breaking into the 900 kilos uh, total, like everyone remembers the first. And it's, it's one of those deals where it's like at, you know, in your 50s doing something like that is absolutely insane for people to wrap their heads around. So those are the numbers. And those are the numerical, you know, 
when you set those benchmarks here on out, everyone remembers the first. Then in terms of the competition, here's the thing with the competition, because you could hit those numbers anywhere, really, and, and, and it's official, right? But there's so, and there's something about that yeah. that's big. There's something about that that will stand forever because you're the first to cross this line. But then on the flip side, and the IPF world title, I agree. You know, you get an IPF world title, that's yours as well. But there's something absolutely, or and you just experienced it, sensational when you're in the middle of that battle head-to-head comp and the numbers don't even fucking matter. What you fellas were doing, like you were saying, you know, I wanted 900, but this is, look, if you're writing a movie, that was better than the numbers of, you know, that was the way it unfolded was amazing. You know, three pulls for the win, seven records. Like you guys were tossed around the, the record like it was a volleyball. And um, so when you, if, if you were to look ahead, if you ever appear at an international level now in the open, all eyes watching, your legend grows and grows the more this, the more this keeps happening. And I think your battle just made it grew again. Because 2019, although three years ago, the, the, in powerlifting, it's a, probably a whole new cycle. Some people come in for average three years. So this is a new cycle of people. And instead of late 40s, now you're 50s. Now when you enter certain competitions, and everyone's watching. I mean, it's it sets up a possible moment and you are forever the underdog because of that and forever the Rocky story, everyone's gonna rally behind you because of that. Every time you show up, that's the case. It's like, look, I shouldn't be here and I'm still here. You know, you know everything I've been through and I'm still here. I am the bridge to the 80s and 90s. When you look at me, I am that connection to a past gone era and I'm the last one here and I'm still here every time you show up. So it means something for those lifters. The more people find out when you show up and they fuck it, there it is. There he is to everyone watching. It, that's what it signifies. So when you show up at an event like that, you know, that's where I'm, I'm wondering. You think so? You, 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 so you think so then? I'm, I never really thought of it like that. Um, when I'm there competing at the British, I think, you know, people looking at me, people looking at all the others, lifters see, who can do what, who's going to be the champion. I never really think of them looking at me because, you know, of what I've done or because of my age. And that adds an extra layer of appreciation. I've never, I've never really thought that. You think that is the case? Well, look at, here's, um, people know, first off, like, like I said, we all are facing in terms of like, we're all mortal. It is no matter what going to be inspirational and they will relate to that no matter what, to be like fucking, it is that like strength can last forever. If he could do it, I could do it. This is, we need stories like that period. We're all, the one thing that separates us from animals is we, we as people get inspired and draw inspiration from each other. When I hear your story, I can go in there and start smashing weights. I'm like, if he could do it, I could do it. We could do this. We, as people, this is why we, we retell stories and write songs about and things like that. Whether or not it's mass known or not, we draw inspiration from each other. We do. And whether or not it's articulated, you know, other people that when I'm at the IPF world championships and I've, I, I, I've been commentating lucky enough for like a, over half a decade now. When I walk in that warm-up room and I see certain people, I'm not telling the person, but sometimes you look over and you're like, no, man, I have on my phone, I got a list of people 
that when the shit gets tough, I open it up and I see the list and I'm like, that's my inspiration list. We all have people like that, whether they're power lifters or people from other sports. And um, there's no question. Not everyone will know your story, but those who do, how can you not be like, all right, man, it's possible. If he could do it, I could do it. The same way you think of other people that came before you, or if you're looking at David Ricks, you're like, I, when you're the first, it's tough. It's lonely because like no one's ever done it before. So, but when someone else does it, it's the four minute mile story. The, the four minute mile was supposed to be like landing on the moon. It'll never happen. We know in the sixties people landed on the moon, but that's what they said. Yeah. And then once one person broke the four minute mile within the next three years, it got broken like a dozen times. One person needs to do it, but the first person is the loneliest. Everyone else draws inspiration from that and be like, if they can do it, I can do it. It is, man, it's there. And, um, and when you show up and people recognize, like this is why we have Hall of Fames and celebrate his history. And I realize in powerlifting, it's not quite like other sports. We don't have the infrastructure and institution that other sports have, but we do got something. You know, we do got these reposts. We do got these podcasts. People are going to find out. You know, when you show up, not everyone's going to say something, but it's there, man. It's got to be there. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, know. it's, it's, you know, not to get, you know, it's, it's true. And it's, um, not to put too much responsibility on your shoulders, but it's, uh, you're making history, man. You're making history. It's not all. Thank you. Yeah. But, uh, so it's like, when you were coming up, who was your inspirations? Um, a lot of the, a lot of the American lifters were superstars. Um, p- people like Kurt Kowalski, Ed Cohen, th- those were the big names. Remember powerlifting USA? I don't know if it's still going. Mm. Um, but they used to adorn the covers of those magazines. Um, but for me, a lot of time it was just like the local lads, the guy that I, I see on a regular basis who I used to train with. Um, um, you know, there wasn't, the, there wasn't the social media, just, it's just like your fellow powerlifters, you go to the world championship and people are squatting, lifting ridiculous weights. Or even um, like, not even just in powerlifting, but maybe you had inspiration, like period, like outside of powerlifting, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I read his, both of his autobiographies. I call it the old and new Testament. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've never really had any heroes as such in terms of sport. I just take a little bit um, from kind of the champion mindset. So I mentioned Arnold Schwarzenegger earlier. Um, it's just little little snips, little snippets um, of people like that. Um, um, but, you know, you've kind of got to, as a champion, you've kind of got to kind of experience that for yourself. Um, you can read, you can read all the autobiographies. You can really try to get inspiration from these guys, but when it comes down to it and you're competing, whatever sport it is, you're kind of really on your own. So it's it's about you digging deep within yourself and seeing whether you can rise to the occasion or you're going to fall apart. Um, so I think really biggest biggest inspiration should actually be yourself just trying to be better than you were before. So, like I said, like this competition, you know, initially for me, it started out really quite tough. 
And then it was really a case of, come on, Sam, big deep, big deep. You're on your own here. <laughs> you know, you've got your corner people there. You've got the audience cheering you. But when you walk out to that bar on that platform, you know, it's a lonely place. <laughs> yeah. It's a lonely place. The judges are there. You know, you don't think they're there to give you um, a white light. You think they're there to give you a red light. You're thinking that they're looking for problems to fail you. And you've kind of got to kind of overcome that. Um, so my inspiration comes from a, a lot of places. Um, but, you know, you, you know, you've got to dig deep within yourself to, to get the best out of yourself. When we, um, well, it, so it kind of does make sense how, for, before I ask this question, it kind of does make sense that you're like, really, you think people look at me that way? But maybe when you were coming up, if you weren't looking at people that way yourself, whereas you got to understand, there are a lot of people, like for instance, like the Michael Jordan, when that documentary came out, The Last Dance, and it's it absolutely, amazing. it's, seen, it's amazing. It's, Dog, it's incredible. incredible documentary. Like there are people who do, search for inspiration. I've, I had on Leah Bavois, who obviously became a world champion in um, Samantha Eugene, who's also from France. They're both from France. And Leah Bavois, when she was coming up, um, has autism and uh, suffered with this autism and, and like was essentially felt like alienated from everybody else around her in her life. No one knew she was autistic until she was already an adult. So life was extremely difficult finds powerlifting, becomes a star, um, you know, for sure, one of the biggest stars in powerlifting now, a world champion. And she told me at times she was straight up suicidal the whole night, it, like when she was coming up, because she couldn't fit in and couldn't find her place and felt like, like totally at odds with everybody, including her own family. Why are you the way you are? And then it all came to, she was on a podcast, didn't realize She's on a podcast and Samantha Eugene, who was a fast rising star in France, hitting incredible numbers, doing things no one ever thought. And she's 17 years old and, and doing things like that would be competitive in the open. Had them both on the podcast. And I asked Samantha Eugene, same question I asked you, who did you look up to uh, on your way up? And she said, Leah Bavois. And Leah Bavois started crying. Because you don't, you don't, she's not, you're not ready. You don't realize you know, you don't realize. And Leah's like, you have no idea in my life. That's not, when I was your age, 17, I was like on the verge of suicide. And I was like, you have no idea how crazy this is to me to hear. Well, and she couldn't crazy. articulate. She's like, this is fucking the wildest. Uh, so anyways, it, it dude, yes. To, to put it, any, like, there will be people listening. There will be people watching and they will draw inspiration. <laughs> to, just to double back on that, uh, 100%. Um, and, uh, yeah, not using the Michael Jordan thing, like for sure it happens. Um, and, uh, so with everything you've done and you've been around and had all these memories, what, oh, oh, actually, wait, no, I don't think I got the, the full answer I wanted, uh, before we move on to this last question. Well, I got a few questions that are more on the personal side, but are we going to see you in the open at the international level? Um, at certain points, do you have a goal with that where, the old lion's going to face off the young lions representing the UK at an international level at some point again. Yeah, why not? Why not? I'm not going to. I'm not going to retire to the Masters totally. Um, right. I'm not going to do the the world in South Africa because that's in eleven weeks. Um, the reason why is because I just feel like I've lifted heavy since January. I've had. I've been basically peaking for two months. And one of the reasons why 
I felt I've survived for this long is making decisions like this. So I don't want to lift heavy, not for a little while. So now I can take the training back. I can do more hypertrophy work, do more volume-based work, work on any little niggles. And more importantly, uh, look to get stronger. So I feel if I'm almost peaking again for another show in 11 weeks, where's my opportunity to get stronger? I'm representing my strength. Uh, so I want to go in there. I want to add, add some more muscle. Yes, more muscle. Uh, and I want to get stronger. So I need an off-season. So I'm going to have an off-season now. And then I'll probably turn back up at the World Masters. Uh, and then I may do the Europeans. Um, hopefully by that time, I've got a, a big total in the bag. And then I can, I can face off with the young ones and see, and, and see where I stand. Um, amazing. Cause the world masters is in Canada. I won't be there. Unfortunately, I got, um, other commitments with commentating floating around the world doing that, but it'll be in Canada. So we welcome you, sir, but I'll be watching. Thank you. <laughs> Better believe I'll be watching to see what you do in seeing you at the Europeans in the open. It'll be freaking phenomenal. Cause the European championship, what's going on in Europe with powerlifting, the level that the Europeans are hitting now, you know, the amount, like you got people like Krolagara and Leah Babwa and Turbo Tiff on, on the women's side. And then on the men's side, the amount of world champions that are coming out of Europe now, it's phenomenal, including yeah, it's like amazing. Anatoly, Pena, you know, these guys who are just pushing the envelope. The European championships is very much leveled up. Do you feel that as well? Above. Well, it does. Level above. Uh, leveled up compared to what previously it was. I feel like maybe, maybe not, I'm not talking eighties, nineties in more recent times, you know, for a long time, it was quite a bit us dominant, but now I feel like nations like Italy, for instance, UK, France, you know, Sweden, there's some certain nations that have always been, but it feels like some of these European nations are starting to for sure level up where, you know, now when Heather Connor, who is, running it in the 47s. Now she's neck and neck. Now in the 63s, it's Leah Bavois and Corolla Gara who are like way ahead. Now you have like in, you know, all the different classes. I don't got to go through piece by piece, but it's leveling up all over the place. So now when you go to the European championships, you have reigning world champions that you have to beat if you want to be a European champion. Anatoly, oh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't see... Um less than 920 winning it can you no in the, in the 105 for example yeah no it's, it's absolutely ridiculous it's huge um so you know it's it's like a world championship really you know what i mean not quite without the americans but the standard is is, is off the scale and it's just only going to get it's only going to get better it's amazing so um i was very very happy to go there a couple of years ago and just to get into the podium that was a that was a massive achievement um, so if I could go there and do something similar, even the top five, that would be a, that would be a great achievement. So let's see, let's see, let's, let's see in a few months. Also, um, the U.S. is going to be hosting the 2023 World Championships Open. Uh, so 20, 2023, 2023. So not this year, the following year. Oh, uh, right. They they have the bid anyways, and they're so I don't. Las, so it's going to be Las Vegas. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know where. I don't. I don't know <laughs> where. Uh, but they, the U.S. has the bid. I don't. I didn't see anyone else with the bid in. So I'm pretty sure U.S. is going to get it for 2023. Now, if the Open World Championships 
comes to the US in 2023, let's say you take in your IPF World Championships in the Masters, you've done the European Championships in the Open, and let's say you hit your 900 kilo total. So you're, you're check, check, check a bunch of things that you'll have, you'll have wanted. Is it a possibility? Now, I know you still got to go right through the British and my God, do you have shooters? Britain's got shooters. Okay. But is that something that maybe we might be able to see as well? If, if things go as planned that you're like, look at at a certain point, I got to return. I would love to see you in the open at the world championships just to see. Yeah. 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 That's definitely a possibility. Um, you know, as long as my total don't start declining between now and then, yeah, then that's a, that's, that's a possibility. Uh, before COVID, I was going to do the, both the Masters and the Open. Uh, they were in Belarus and South Africa, but COVID came about two, three months before, so that didn't happen. So, yeah, I would, I'd definitely love to do a World Championship. Uh, just, you know, to go there and do your best, you know, you know not going to win it, but just to be amongst the best in the world, seeing all the best is, you know, it's, it's an experience, isn't it? You know, it's an experience that a lot of powerlifters would, 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 would love to experience and probably never will. Um, it's a privilege to represent your country at the, at the highest level. So, yeah, without a doubt, I'd, I, would, I would definitely love to do that. It's, um, it... And, you know, America's a nice place to go to, so that, that's, a, that's a bonus on top. It'll be huge. If it's in the U.S., the amount of people to show up, the viewers, U.S. team will be stacked. Uh, the U.S. Nationals leading to will probably be pretty heavy because everyone, because it'll be in the U.S., so everyone wants to hop on the team. Like, it'll be it'll be very, very big. And then Sheffield will be going on. Can I ask you, um, is the USA, USAPL with the IPF issue, has that been resolved? So no. US- so it's a new federation now. Okay. Brand spanking new, new federation. So as, as all, all the has moved over from USPL to the new federation. Uh, not all of them, but like, uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of like reigning world champions, national champions that'll be showing up. It's it's top heavy right now. So a lot of they have the it's a it's powerlifting America, and the nationals are just coming up the first week of April actually. And now, so uh, sorry, the open nationals they split up the nationals. So there's junior, there's masters. So it's split up in a bunch of different dates. Um, so in the open, and it's very much now top heavy because you it, previously USAPL, it will just be like, um, you know, re- the, their model was to make entry barrier very low. So it's like a mega meet, a thousand people show up. So it's not quite like other sports are like, we're going to make the ent- barrier of entry very high. So it's only elite. What they had the model of, which is pretty good is everyone's there. And then they had a prime time. So the prime time was difficult, very difficult to get on. So it was kind of like a, a nationals within the nationals type situation. It's just different type of model, but very big market. This nationals for the powerlifting America, very top end heavy. So there's not a lot of lifters, but the quality of lifters, you have like several reigning world champions, 93 kilo Jonathan Keiko to the yeah. 120 plus world champion Jesus Oliveras to Taylor Atwood in the 74s okay. to like, I mean, like to all win, to all, to win is going to be... <laughs> ridiculous right like it's essentially people are showing up this year anyways things will change um year after year obviously people start showing up just to compete but this year it's like punching your ticket to go to worlds so this year it's extremely top end heavy amanda lawrence best lifter at worlds will be there heather connor whatever so to get a world so it's nobody's really well far fewer people are showing up just to lift 
Um, it's it's like going for your ticket to Worlds. But we'll see what happens as years come. Things unfold, things develop, right? Uh, yeah. But um, yeah, so 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 we'll see what happens there. But definitely the World Championships. When you're at the World Championships, it's just like the Rocky story where it's not just about winning. It's about proving a point. Like when Rocky in Rocky won, the, the, the Rocky that won the Oscar for screenplay, he's, he lost the last fight. Spoiler alert, came out in 76. But he, it wasn't about winning. It was about proving a point that you deserve to be there and what you could do when you get there and that you belong. You know, and that's where if you ever show up at the world championship in the open in the U.S., if you show up there and you start posting up some numbers, that's where it's like, let me show you what a guy 52 at the time, then like when you're battling people 20 to 30 years younger and it's that's what it is. There's no pressure when you're walking in in your shoes. It's just let me show you what I could do. Let me show you I belong here. And, and you start pushing numbers like that. That's it's, it's a special story anyway. So I would love to see, dude, I commentate these things. So I would fucking <laughs> lose my mind if I commentate you doing this. But anyways, we got a lot of lifting to do before we get there, right? Yeah. I yeah, mean, it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you're stalking the fire a little bit there. Well, my man, it, <laughs> it, it means something. It means something to show up and be like, you know, you're fighting for more than, I know everything we talk about is fighting for the win, but fucking sometimes proving that point. Every, let everyone watch, see me show up. Let, let me show you how far I'm going to, how hard I'm going to fight for this. Let me show you, you know, because sometimes making a point is, is bigger than anything else, man. Yeah. We'll see when we get there. We'll see when we get there, man. We'll keep in contact. Okay. Um, so all these powerlifting moments you've had over a historic career, what is the... A moment you're most proud of, and B special most special moment. So it, they might be different. There's a moment that you might be like, "My God, when I did this, the things I overcame or won this title, broke this record." You're most proud of that. And then a special moment might even be something where it's like, "It wasn't my biggest number. It wasn't my, you know, it's not like you know." If I was to ask you what's the most proud, it might be something different, right? Um, I think, you know, the most proud moment, I think, was just the return. The return, because it was, it was so unexpected after 17 years of not lifting and coming back and squatting in my first competition, 295, benching 177, and pulling a 322 deadlift. Uh, four years ago, um, that was a, that was a hell of a moment because it was a return after seventeen years, and it kind of proved to me that Sam, you've still got it, you still got it. Um, so even though it wasn't a huge total, it was less than eight hundred. I, I I could feel like there was a lot more there, mm. and so really from that moment, that moment propelled me up onto this level, up to this level, where I'm now doing 100 kilos more and pushing 900. So I would say simply as simple as that, just having the guts to return, really not knowing whether I was going to be competitive or not, but putting myself, putting myself out there and, and giving myself that challenge. Um, and my most amazing moment is really quite simple. It's now. 
Brilliant. <laughs> it's now, I've, I've never won the Best Initiative Award. I was very close in 1999. I lost it by one point to Brian Reynolds, but I've never, ever won it, the Best Lifter at a British Open Championship. I've obviously won it at the Masters. So I've, I've, I've won it this weekend, but not only that, I've never been ranked the best lifter in the country, pound for pound. <laughs> That's um, wild, Daisy. Wild to in, say. In, 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 in history. <laughs> I've got the highest IPA point. Um, and at that, you know, really, I was cruising as well. If you look at it, you know, if you look at all my lifts, there was quite a bit more there. So that, that, this is my proudest moment. So it's taken me, <laughs> Mr. Sixpack, it's taken me 32 years of lifting to have my proudest moment in powerlifting. So that is patience for you. Isn't that crazy, man? <laughs> to be like, uh, it took me 30 years, but here we are. We're finally getting it's somewhere. It took me 32, fin- years, 32 years to get best lifter at, Nas- at National Open. 32 years it's taken me. That is Bear in mind, I've been looking at the Nationals even when I was a junior, I was lifting at the Nationals. So I was lifting when I was 21. I was, I was competing in both. So yeah, it's 30, 30 years. But I've done it. I've achieved it. So it's a really, 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 really big deal for me. It's a really big, really big deal. I'm over the moon. It would be, yeah, it's crazy to be able to say I'm pound for pound the best in the nation. And, and again, it's not a small powerlifting nation, is it? Like, like the UK has got a, a history in powerlifting. Um, I got a couple personal questions and then we're done. These are just like, not like super personal questions, but what is your favorite music and artist? <laughs> music, hip hop. Mommy. Hip hop. And right now, you know something? So much of hip hop nowadays just sounds the same. It could, the one artist could be another, it could be another, it just all sounds the same. But the person who stands out for me right now is Kodak Black. Oh, I love wow. his style. It's really, really quite unique, just the way he flows. He's a bit of a naughty boy. He, he does some controversial stuff, but I do like his rapping style. So hip hop and Kodak Black, Kodak Black for me. Some, some, some people from Britain were put me on to gigs. Yeah, yeah, gigs. Yeah, yeah, UK, UK grind. He's very good as well. UK grind. That's what they yeah. are telling me. When I was at World's Last, I got into gigs by uh, Instagram. Some, I think a boxer had him on one of his reels. I'm like, fuck, that's a good song, man. He was like, I, I'm damn, it's goddamn, I'm the goat. I'll be damned if I do, but I'll be damned if I don't. And like <laughs> spitting rhymes like that, I'm like, fuck, that's like, I like this dude. Yeah, so then yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I looked into it and then um, I downloaded a couple of the songs. And then when I was in you uh, talking to some of the UK team at Worlds and they were telling me about like grime and like whatever, like gigs and whatever. And I was like, fuck man, I'm getting into it. I love Top Boy, the show Top Boy. You oh, know what yeah. I know? It's back. It's back. I know the it's next, back. The, the I, love is it. back yeah. I love I'm the gonna, slang. I'm, I think it's on Netflix. So I'm going to wait until the full series is done. And then I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to binge watch it. Amazing. See, dude, that's that discipline kicking in. I don't have the discipline to wait, bro. Uh, you know, I, I'm I, not, I'm not... I, always, I always do that. I wait until the series is over and then I'll binge watch it. I can wait. I can wait for weeks. I, I uh, when I got into Top Boy, me and my buddy Caff, we um, watched, like, we fell in love with Top Boy and we were trying to use the slang bruv and stuff like that. Like, they're using <laughs> the, the London 
slag. I'm like, fuck, I love this. This is like, cause it's so new to us over here in North America, you know, it was like, uh, I mean, we're used to like stories of like street gangsters, whatever, like the rise to the top. Um, you know, like we had the wire and stuff like that, but it's just yeah. different. Uh, man, top always such a phenomenal show. And we got yeah. so, I got so into it, but yeah, I'm so happy it's back. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, yeah, it's probably the UK's version of the wire. And the um, wire is amazing. I've watched the wire a couple of times. I think the last time was about three, four years ago. I definitely do another watch. Definitely amazing show. The the wire ranks is one of my favorite all time for sure. They cut it at five seasons and didn't, even though they were like just killing it for ratings. They were like, no, our story's done at five. We can like you know HBO would would tell the producers and writers, hey, would you like another fifty mil? Like you, you can literally, the amount of money they probably could have made by continuing. And they're like, no, artistically speaking, like we, we wrote five, we're staying at five is done yeah. at five. And I won't give anybody spoilers because some people haven't seen the wire. And if you haven't, you got to double back. It's only five seasons in terms of binging through, it takes no time, but my God, what yes, a good show. That was. I mean, and I think they should probably stop at five because I like the way they, uh, they delved into different aspects of the city. So one was drugs, one with the education system, um, one was the docks. Very cleverly, very cleverly put together. I mean, I couldn't understand uh, some of the stuff they were saying <laughs> all the time with American slang, um, but it was it was amazing. And my favorite character is Omar. Dude, Omar is Omar. It was crazy. So here's the thing. So first off, it's funny when you said the American slang. It's the same with me for Top Boy. Um, where we, we didn't like they go in it. They they say in it and stuff like that. In like um, you know, so some of the slang I, I I got it, but it takes a second for Top Boy. But um, Omar uh and the actor actually just recently passed away who played Omar. I, f- I forget his name, but he's amazing. But Michael Simpson. Yeah, it, he was in uh, Boardwalk Empire. He's in a bunch of yeah. stuff. He's really good. But Omar's character, to be, a, it, he was an outcast in the ghetto. This is 2005 range. He was like openly gay man who was like tough though. Like, I mean, when he walks down the street, the other gangsters, like drug dealers, like Omar's, Omar's coming. And they're like, because he robs, he robs, drug dealers like he robs the, he's <laughs> yeah. the bad boy he robs the bad boy at gunpoint he was like um but it's not cheesy it's not hyperbolic cheesy where he's too badass he's vulnerable because he's a bit of an outcast he's vulnerable and in it again i won't give spoilers but he ends up like you end up having this connection to him because he's an underdog outsider and um it doesn't matter that like, I'm not growing up in Baltimore. I'm not a gay black man growing up in the hood in Baltimore, but they show his vulnerabilities in going against the grain. And, and uh, I don't know, I can't get into it. The writing is so beautiful. The character development where all of a sudden you're like, everybody was rooting for Omar. You know what I mean? And he was, they were way ahead of their yeah. time. This is 2005, not 2022. This is 2005 that a character like Omar came exist. They did, people got to realize as well, they didn't have an openly gay black man in many shows in 2005. One of the main characters. And not only, he's not just, uh, you know, let's, let's, you know, some suits were like, let's try to appeal to this demographic. 2005, that shit wasn't happening, bro. And, and it was organic and it made sense. And it, you watch it and you're like, 
fucking phenomenal writing man yeah like it wasn't true. it wasn't a, an agenda or nothing it was like it was so good the, oh my god the wire is a special show you know it's so crazy everybody, everybody if you haven't seen it get there and watch the wire you got to watch the wire you got to do it and then top boy top boy's good um you know we're boosting up the wire uh, since the wire i hadn't seen anything close top boy's up there I, i'm not going to do a direct comparison yet because top boy's not done and wire's really tough like if you google top 20 shows of all time on almost everybody's list the wire's in there for usually in top 10 unanimously if you go picture go to like 10 different lists the, the wire will be top 10 in all of them so it's not just me and sam if you guys are listening top boy <laughs> top boy's doing well top boy's doing well it's up there um yeah i was gonna ask you uh your favorite who who's your what's your favorite movie and actor who actor have i got a favorite actor um my favorite movie or one of my favorites um, just the sheer adventure and excitement is Apocalypto. I don't know if you've heard of that. Is that the one, um, the natives in uh, North America? And is that the one? That's right, Ben. Um, Aztecs? Mel yes, yeah, Mel Gibson, Aztecs. that's right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Have you, seen, have you seen it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, just a, a brilliant action movie. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have to sit down. I don't have to think about too much. I don't have to use my... Too, too many brain cells, but just sit back and yeah. go with the floor. That's really exciting. Um, I'm not sure if I've got a favorite movie actor. Nobody springs to mind. I don't, it's, it's really more about the movie recommendations that I get. It's not like, oh, this actor is appearing, like Idris Elba is appearing in a movie. So I've got to watch the movie. It's just like, I'll see what the reviews are like. And if it's good, I'll go see it. Somebody that, um, like one of my favorites is Tom Hardy, UK zone. Tom Hardy yeah, is a dude good. that yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio, those are guys, there's certain people that if they got a movie coming out nine times out of 10, you think it's going to be good. Like Leo, some guys are like, you know, that Snoop Dogg uh, quote, he can't miss this motherfucker doesn't miss or whatever it is where he says <laughs> that where they're, I don't know who they're talking about, but some dude who almost never misses Leonardo DiCaprio damn near never misses. He's a dude that like, but, 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 but didn't he miss though with his last, last movie? Yes, he did. You some, bet some your ass he the, did. Some, some end of the world. Dude, movie. I did. I, I, I didn't finish I watched, it. I watched about half an hour of that and I had to stop. Same. I'm like, I don't <laughs> fucking get this. Same. Look at Tom Hardy had a good run. I'm not into the Venom shit at all. That does nothing for me. The Venom movies, but I love like from Warrior to Revenant to uh, Lawless to whatever the hell. Even his show is Taboo. He, had a, he has a show called Taboo he wrote with his dad, I believe, or something. Phenomenal. Like, like Tom Hardy is a, a phenomenal actor, but Venom, um, you miss me. I think he was also in a show, um, a UK show. I don't know if you've seen it, but I think you'd like it a lot. It's called Peaky Blinders. Oh, hell yeah. My dude. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And okay. he's in that. Yeah, he does phenomenal yeah. in that as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, last one, my man, favorite food. Favorite food. This is a man. tough one. This is a tough yeah, one. Yeah, because I just, all the, all the food that I eat is like what I eat on a regular basis. I like it all. So um, <laughs> chicken, steak, <laughs> salmon. Oh, um, man, you and, like and, the healthy stuff. I love, 
Yeah, I do. I like oats. I have oats every day. So um, for breakfast, for example, um, scrambled eggs, four, four eggs with peppers, with tomatoes, with mushroom, with cheese. And then after that, then I'll have a bowl of oats um, with 85% chocolate, with blueberries, oh, um, with cinnamon, and uh, a few mixed nuts. Um, that's absolutely gorgeous. Super healthy, but that's what I like. And that's, oh. but that could be one of the reasons why I stay lean all the time. But dude, that sounds like a lot of calories. I um, put this way. Um, I went off plan. I've been having takeaways, um, just been eating whatever I want. This morning, I woke up 104.1. So I've dropped a kilo since last week. So I'm going to have to start tracking my calories again so I don't go down to 103 kilos. Oh my so God. I've got my metabolism is just off the, off the chart. So I'm going I'm to need to push my calories up to, to four and a half thousand calories. Otherwise, I'm just going to just lose too much, too, lose too much weight. So I've just got to eat and eat and eat and eat. This is, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> and if I don't, I just get leaner. So, I mean, if I drop down, you've seen the pictures of how I'm looking. If I drop down to say 102 kilos, 101, then that's literally when I could go, go and enter a bodybuilding stage. So that's the point where I'm getting like well, you know, well below sub 10% body fat, but that's not healthy. That's just not healthy to be too lean. So I'm going to have to start piling the food and put some weight on. And this is probably because a, you do tons of weightlifting, but then you do cardio every day as well. Like you were a well-oiled machine. Like when people are like, how do you get your metabolism clicking like that? Well, you're just firing. Yeah. But you don't stop moving. You've never stopped moving. Like you, you use your body like a machine. This machine is moving. Something in motion wants to stay in motion. You're not just like, you're not hanging around. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my job as a personal trainer, uh, I'm on my feet six, seven hours a day. Um, I get up at 5.30 every morning so I can go to the gym and do my cardio. That's the first thing that I do before my first client at 7 a.m. So 5.30 alarm every single day. Even when I'm peaking, don't matter at what stage I am in my uh, powerlifting prep, I go out there and do my cardio because uh, health for me is really important. So I want my heart health, my cardiovascular health, um, to, to be optimal and at 51 I feel I feel great I feel I feel really really, really healthy um so long may that continue discipline I've said it before like discipline is the cheat code to life when people want to be like, like yeah okay genetics helps for sure but some people want to write things off and just be like uh you know genetics have have you set like I, I'm, I'm not you, but at 42, um, I'm in pretty good shape. And when I talk to some other people who are like my age and they're like, um, yeah, fuck, I wish I had your genetics, a eh? six pack lap of that. And I'm like, my dude, uh, you also should wish you had my discipline. I track every single calorie. I do no less than 10,000 steps and I'm doing like, I track every single weight lifted. So I know my poundage and volume that I've done per workout per week. I know how many pounds a week I've listed or lifted and I don't drop unless if I'm in a volume phase, if I'm in an intensity phase with RPEs. And again, though, I make sure like everything's tracked. Discipline is the cheat code. And 
doesn't matter how you feel, you do it. I walk in the gym and I feel this way or that way, but I get it done. And something is better than nothing. So if you're dropping intensity, whatever, whether you, if like the difference between shifting 15,000 pounds or 10,000 pounds, the intensity dropped way, but way less, but 10,000 pounds shifted that day is better than zero. And I think too many people do that where it's like, I'm having a bad day, so I'm not going to do something. And in the long run, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, that is the battle. It's yeah, just, think, you've never it, fallen off. Yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily happen by default where you feel like you want to go out there and do the cardio. That's not the case. Sometimes it's dark, it's cold, you're tired. You think, I could do with that extra sleep. Um, but it's just, something, it's just something that you do. Um, and, you know, people may say, oh, how do you have the discipline to do that? I don't really even see it as discipline. And you probably don't either. It's just something what you do. It's just, this is how I want to live. This, I want to feel well. I want to feel healthy. So I'm just going to do it. There's, there's not a battle going on in my brain whether I should stay in bed or whether I should, I should do this. I know it's good for me. All the research shows that it's good. So just do it. You don't need to be... You don't need to be motivated. I think that, that word is thrown around way too much. You need to be motivated to go to the gym. No, you don't. Just go to the gym. It's, you know, I love that you said that. And I love that it's weird that you said this one line. It's just something that I do. I also do like jujitsu. And there's times when I'm super tired and I'm in the middle of, you could be full on mounted. Someone's trying to choke you. And you're like, you're like, what the fuck am I doing? But you tell yourself, this is just something I do. I just show up and you just do it. When you start disassociating how you feel about something, you just do it. And I have literally told myself, this is just something I do. And once you start telling yourself, it doesn't matter how I feel. I feel tired. I feel, don't always check in, just do it. And that is, that is quote unquote discipline is just, yeah. Stop checking in. How do I feel today about how do I just do it? Just do it because that's what you do. That's part of your routine is what you do. And that's how you get things done. So when you add up all the days you felt like doing it, all the ways you didn't feel like doing it, all the ways you're motivated. Oh my God, I'm having a great day. All the days you're having a so-so day or bad day and just do it. When you add them all up, that's when you look back and like, holy exactly. fuck, that's how I you mean, get somewhere. If you, you know, if I look back at the... 23 national titles that I've got and world titles. What was the key to, to all of that? Obviously genetics and hard work, um, but none of that would have happened without me just kind of showing up. You know, I, I, I try to tell my clients, you know, in some cases it's, it's just, you know, just be boring, just come in, be boring and just do the same thing over and over again. If it works, just keep doing it. And that's what I do. It's not every day you're gonna come in and have an amazing squat sessions and break PBs. You know, you, you need to show up like I did this week, you know, um, six days since the competition. I've gone in and trained four times. None of them were spectacular sessions. Um, I also do the small things as well, like people will probably ignore. You know, powerlifters like to squat bench and deadlift, but I'll have specific days where I go in and I'll do core work 
I'll do mobility work. Um, I'll stretch. I stretch every day, every single day. I stretch, I do mobility work. Um, so now I'm moving now better at 51 than I did when I was 25. Mm. You know, I, I was never able to just go and do a bodyweight squat at any time. No, that's something I've developed over just the last few years because I put in the work. Um, I've got, my hips can get quite tight. So I do a lot of mobility, a lot of hip airplanes, a lot of world's greatest stretch, um, doing a, um, a rigorous mobility routine before I squat and deadlift. You know, I'm not, I don't walk into the gym and five minutes later I'm squatting. No, hell no. You know, um, I'll, I have a certain drill. You can see which areas need a bit of work, which areas are a bit tight and just, I give it a bit of love. And, you know, I get rewarded by that. Then it's much easier to get into squat position. My back hurt, my back hurts less um, because I'm in a better position, I'm bracing better. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people overlook. Uh, but, you know, if you can do those things, it doesn't only help you with the powerlifting, with the lifting, it just helps with daily life as well. Mm-hmm. You know, just getting around, getting up the stairs, picking up the shopping. Um, so, you know, I'll always do that. It's good. P- people talk about, people try to minimize at times what powerlifting uh, teaches you. Cause they're like, it's just lifting weights. Don't overthink it. But powerlifting has taught me, you know, cause this applies to everything in life. I, I-, I promise anyone listening, it- call it discipline or call it, uh, you know, just the, the do it exactly as you had articulated, just do it. Just, it's just something you do. It teaches you repetition and consistency. You know, it- it's literally like, because we have numbers attached, so you could see the improvements and whatnot, but you could apply that to everything. If you just say, I want to get here, how do I get there? Start doing certain things on a daily basis. Doesn't have to be a crazy amount. And um, I think Lane Norton had said kind of recently, people underestimate what consistency will do over the long haul and overestimate if you try to fucking cram in in six weeks a shitload. Like four hour sessions in six weeks, I should be here. Probably not. If you would have done 30 minutes every day for the next two years, you're probably going to be well better off. Just do do some things and make it a part of your daily schedule. And it could be anything. Powerlifting's taught me. It could be almost anything. Just start figuring out your system, what you need to do and just do it consistently over time. You don't got to be the best at whatever you're going to improve leaps and bounds. You know what I mean? It's little things that you do consistently that that are going to make it. And that's what powerlifting's taught me. hundred percent. So how do people get a hold of you, my man? First off, thank you for all your time. Muchly appreciated my man. Um, We got to do this again. We got to do this again at some point. (laughs) And um, how do people get a hold of you? Do you do any online coaching or anything like that? Um, no, I mean, I just do the one-to-one coaching. I'm fully booked with that. Um, I'm not doing any more online coaching at the moment. I'm kind of busy enough. Um, but you know, people can find me on Instagram, somewhat fitness, easy to find. Um, uh, yeah. If you do, if you start doing online again, look at, at like your, If you started doing like nutrition or whatever the fuck or had an app, I guarantee you that shit's going to fly with what you're doing and how you look and the whole nine. Um, anyways, let me know. I'll boost. I, know, I, probably will at some, I probably will at some point because I just, I think there's just so much that people 
don't know. <laughs> um, and it's just sometimes the really small details can make such a huge difference. Um, and the reason why I say that is I've gone through all the mistakes myself and then I've come out the other end. So, you know, uh, you know, I would say one of the big things, just for example, on my, when, why my deadlift has improved over the last couple of years is that I've learned how to brace properly. Um, um, I, trained, I trained my core really quite hard. Um, it was something I was quite lazy about before. Um, and most people think they know how to brace, but basically not one person who's come in and I've showed them how to actually brace. People have lifted for many years, uh, other personal trainers, none of them knew how to, to brace effectively. It's a real art form, it's a real skill. But if you do that, you could, you, you could literally just kind of put 10, 15 kilos on your deadlift immediately. So that's just, that's just one thing there, for example. So maybe something that I should do and pass on the knowledge at some point. Dude, you got to, whether it's through videos, ebook, or an app and um, nutrition programming and how-to videos, like, like, for sure you would kill it because look at whether, what do you want? You want strength? You want to get, do you want to look great? You've done both and you've, and you're at 51. It's like, there's no, <laughs> you'd be the poster boy to sell all this, but you just telling me, you know, throwing 10 kilos in your deadlift just by bracing. It's like, Oh shit. You got, you yeah. got me already curious, but um, yeah, at some point consider it, man. And let me know if you do, cause I'll definitely help and I'll, I'll bump it out there. Um, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. My dude. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Um, stay healthy, man. I'm rooting for you. I can't wait to see what you do at, you know, master worlds and open Europeans and whatever the heck the future holds for you, my, my friend. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. We'll keep in touch, buddy. Talk to you later. Okay. Definitely. Bye-bye.